we are in the midst of March Madness. And if you're not sure of what that is, that's when the top men's and women's college basketball teams uh, play each other. Uh, starts out with 64 teams, and you lose, you're done. And we're getting done with the Sweet 16, and we'll have the Elite Eight, and then we'll have the Final Four, and then the final game. So it just doesn't seem as mad without people in the stands. Uh, there's just a, a few, I think, like family members or college bigwigs that are allowed to be there, and that's it. Not like there's about 10, 12,000 people there cheering for one team or the other. And it's not as interesting when your team's not involved. And for the first time in many years, uh, the team that we like to cheer for, Duke Blue Devils, they're not there. And there's some other top-tier teams that didn't make it this year as well. Uh, Gonzaga is the team to beat. They're undefeated so far this year, but uh, I don't know. I, I think they play a good team they're going to lose uh, because they don't play a lot of big teams during the year. Uh, the, the conference that they're in isn't all that competitive, and so, I don't know, we'll see. But we have to be prepared for what lies ahead. And uh, when you're a college basketball team, uh, if you just play weak teams, you're not really going to be prepared. And so if our preparation is weak, we aren't going to be as strong as we need to be when we need to be. Uh, so whether we're talking about March Madness or life, it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, the trials that God allows us to go through have a purpose. It may not seem that way, especially when you're in the midst of that purpose, but uh, or the midst of that trial. But they happen for a reason, and they happen to strengthen us. Sometimes they strengthen us for us, what maybe lies ahead for us. Sometimes they strengthen us for somebody else, that we can help somebody else get through that. But, you know, something I don't like to hear is somebody will say, oh, I know exactly how you feel. Uh, no, you don't know exactly how I feel. Or they may say, I went through the exact same thing. Uh, no, no, you didn't. Not really. Um, you maybe went through something similar. Maybe you had the same surgery or maybe you had the same broken bone or whatever. But we're different, and so the way we go through things are different. So whatever it is you may be going through right now, uh, know that it's going to prepare you for something more. Or it's going to strengthen you so you can be a strength for somebody else to get through whatever that situation may be. So God has a purpose for it. Okay, you're not going through it for nothing. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for today. And Lord, as we're in this Easter season, uh, Lord, I just ask for your blessing on us as we come closer to Resurrection Day. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'll um, be with us through this message. And Lord, open our, our minds to what you have in our hearts and just let your Holy Spirit do his work. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I need to start out by telling you, this is my first attempt 
at writing fiction. Okay, every other message I have ever given in church or in a podcast has been written based on the facts of the Bible. But not this one, because this message is written about that Saturday. <coughs> that day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So let's recap what we know up to this point. Hey, Jesus was crucified. The only disciple that we know was there was John. Uh, I'm not sure how long John was there. If he was there until Jesus had died uh, or, or just how long he had stayed there, but he was there because he said he was. Uh, Jesus's body was put in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. John tells us that Nicodemus was there as well, which makes you think that maybe John was there at that time and saw that Nicodemus was there because none of the other gospels tell us that. Uh, Matthew 27, 60 tells us that it was Joseph's tomb that Jesus was put into. Uh, Mark and Matthew tell us that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, that they knew where the body was laid. Uh, so Jesus was definitely dead and was in the tomb before the Sabbath. And this is what Matthew tells us about that Saturday. Uh, it just in 27:62 it says, the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. Okay, so now remember that the way that Jews look at the days were different. Uh, to them, the Sabbath began at sunset on Friday and went to sunset on Saturday. Uh, so, you know, we look at our Sabbath day as beginning at midnight and going to midnight. Uh, so it may well have been what we refer to as Friday evening when this happened. Uh, technically not Saturday. So what was happening on that Saturday? Well, we can only speculate, so I will. So herein lies my take on what was happening that day. It was the Sabbath, like I said, so being good Jews, they did no work. Did the disciples go to the synagogue as they probably would have normally, highly unlikely because they didn't want to be anywhere where they could be recognized. Well, were the 11 disciples all together on that day? Well, in, in Luke 24, 9, okay, resurrection morning, it says, so they, meaning uh, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women. Okay, so it says, So they rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. So we can assume from that the 11 disciples were together with a number of other people. Okay, it says everyone else. So from that, it sounds like there was a group, maybe a large group, together. Uh, John's Easter morning doesn't tell us the same. In uh, John 20, verse 2, it says, She, 
meaning Mary Magdalene, ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. So the other nine disciples may have been there along with other people, but uh, Mary Magdalene was just looking for Simon Peter and John. So she felt that those were the two that needed to be contacted about what had happened. So let's assume at least the 11 were together on Saturday and try to imagine what that day was like for them. Now, some of the disciples we know very little about. Thaddeus or Jude, uh, Bartholomew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot. Uh, Philip, you know, we, we heard a little bit about him from the Gospels. <coughs> Excuse me. But what about the others, the ones more well-known? Well, let me start with who was not there, and that was Judas Iscariot. Okay, obviously he was not there. But I'm sure his name came up quite a bit as they were together. That the 11 and others were giving their opinions. You know, I, I never did trust him. And I'd like to have five minutes alone with that traitor. You know, he, he really seemed dedicated. You know, Jesus never really said anything against Judas. How could he have done such a thing? I couldn't believe it when I saw him coming with the soldiers. Didn't know what was going to happen, but, you know, why was he with them? Jesus told us to forgive. I don't think I could ever forgive Judas for this. Is he going to turn us in too? You know, it seems like I remember seeing him taking money out of the money pouch, you know, the money that was for all of us but taking it for himself. Yeah, I'm sure that Judas was a pretty hot topic of conversation. And then there was Thomas, the one that we have come to call the doubter. Was he doubting what he had seen? Was Jesus really dead? Was he really the Messiah? You know, I mean, should we be looking for someone else? But we saw another side of Thomas in John chapter 11. Jesus had been informed about Lazarus being sick, and he didn't go. You know, we all thought he was going to want to go right then. But two days later, Jesus said it was time to go to Lazarus. Well, all the disciples thought that was a bad idea because they had been there not too long ago, and they'd tried to stone Jesus. In verse 16, we hear something different in John 11. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go and die with Jesus. Didn't sound like he's doubting there who Jesus was. So maybe Thomas was more dedicated than maybe we thought he was. Well, then we have Matthew, the tax collector. What could his thoughts have been? Was he wondering if maybe he should have stayed in the tax business? You know, maybe I should get a hold of Zacchaeus and see if he needs a little help. 
You know, I was so sure Jesus was a Messiah. When he asked me to follow him, man, I never hesitated. Was I wrong? Matthew had probably given up the most, at least monetarily. Tax collectors were pretty well off, even, even the honest ones. Well, Andrew's mentioned early in the Gospels, mostly in connection with his brother, Simon Peter. Andrew's biggest claim to fame was when he found the boy with a lunch to feed 5,000 plus. Now, he may have been one of the seven when the boys had gone fishing after the resurrection. He's not named, but in John 21, 2, it says there was two other disciples. And since Andrew was a fisherman, there's a good chance that he was one of those seven that had gone out fishing that day. Next, we'll see what the sons of thunder are up to. You know, James and John, Zebedee's sons. In Mark 3, when Jesus is choosing the 12, in verse 17, it says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. You know, they kind of seemed to be men of action. They were the ones that wanted to know if they couldn't sit at Jesus's right and left when he came into glory and, and they were there. You know, James isn't mentioned much outside of being one of the three in the inner circle. He was there for the transfiguration along with John and Peter. James was one who had fallen asleep when he was supposed to be praying for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he may have been closer to Jesus than some of the other disciples. And of course, there was James's brother, the disciple Jesus loved. Five times in his gospel, John refers to himself this way. Now, it's apparent that Jesus loved all the disciples, but John felt there was something special between himself and Jesus. You know, John was there for Jesus in all of the special moments, even at the cross. What thoughts could John have about what he had witnessed? And now he had been given the responsibility of caring for Mary, Jesus's mother. Okay? I mean, by Jesus himself, as Jesus was on the cross and he looked at Mary and he says, you know, woman, this is your son. And looked at John and said, you know, this is your mother. And John 19, 27 tells us, from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, we have no idea how long that was going to be, but I'm sure that John did it willingly. And as far as we know, only John had seen Jesus when he had died. Now, he knew for sure that the Savior was gone. There was no doubt. His best friend had died. Maybe John's grief was heavier than the others. Maybe his questions were more personal than the others. 
excuse me. And lastly, we have Peter, the rock, the rock that rolled. I imagine Peter was trying his best to just stay away from the others. All four Gospels tell us about Jesus' prediction of Peter's denials. All the disciples had heard it. And they heard him say in return in Matthew 26, 35, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. So the other disciples couldn't be too hard on Peter because the verse goes on to say, and all the other disciples said the same. But Peter was the one that had been pointed out by Jesus. Not John, not Andrew, none of the others, only Peter. So the big difference in all of this is Peter had disowned the Messiah. Did the others know? Had any of the others been around? It said that this uh, time when he disowned Jesus was in the courtyard of Pilate's, and so maybe none of the other disciples were there. And so Peter told anyone? Or did they just know that it had to have happened because Jesus said that it would happen? Either way, I can see Peter huddled in a corner by himself, still weeping at times, trying to get the sound of that rooster out of his mind. The rest of his life, whenever he heard a rooster, would remind him of that moment. How could I have denied him? Why wasn't I strong enough? The others must hate me. I don't blame them. How can I face them? How can I face Mary? Each man was caught up in his own grief. For three years, they had heard the master preach. For three years, they had seen the unbelievable miracles. Thousands fed from a handful of food. People that have been blind from birth, given sight, dead being raised, demons being cast out. And how many times had he put the Pharisees in their place? They were sure he was the one that they had waited for for hundreds of years. What were they to do now? Go back to their old lives? What would their friends and family say? Yeah, I told you so. You know, you just wasted three years of your life. You know, you were so foolish. We tried to tell you. You know, even his mother and his brothers didn't believe him. But you did. Or maybe they spent much time thinking about the things that Jesus had told them. He had told them he was going to be arrested, that he was going to be beaten, that he was going to be crucified. In Matthew 26, 
Jesus said he would be handed over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. But in Matthew 20, Jesus says something more than that. He says, on the third day, he will be raised to life. Did any of them remember that? And if they did, did it give them any hope? Did the disciples spend most of their time alone, just kind of wondering? Or did they spend much of the time discussing what they had been through these last three years? You know, it's like when there's a funeral and you, you see the people at the funeral home or at the church or um, the dinner afterwards and they're they're talking about the person that had died and, and telling stories and, and all, you know, is that what they were doing? Hey, John, do you remember when Jesus did this? You know, hey, Peter, remember when you found the tax money in that fish's mouth? Or did they spend a lot of time discussing what to do next? As much as they didn't think so, Jesus had prepared them for this. But they wouldn't remember those things. Not until tomorrow. For most of them, all that was on their minds was yesterday, what had happened, and right now, what are we going to do? They had no idea what tomorrow would hold, but they didn't think that it was going to be good. They were preparing themselves for the very worst, possibly getting arrested, going to prison, or dying on a cross just like Jesus did. All of those things seemed the most likely to them if they only knew. At the end of the Sabbath, we're told this, Mark 16, 1, <clears throat> it says the women that they had gone out Saturday evening and bought the burial spices that they would need because they were going to go to the tomb the next day. The women were getting ready for what they knew was needed next and for what they thought was going to be needed next. I've had some Saturdays when I didn't know what was to happen next or some Saturdays when I thought I knew, but I really didn't have a clue. But then God came along and changed that Saturday into a resurrection day. Let me share some words from the song. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch him and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. The disciples needed their eyes and their ears opened. Even more, they needed their hearts opened. Jesus said that he wasn't going to leave them as orphans. And he won't leave you and I that way either. And he hasn't. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks. Thank you for your son, 
who was willing to die on that cross for me, for my sins. Lord, my brothers and sisters in Christ, they know that. But sometimes we all have some Saturdays when there's a lot more questions than there are answers. When we really don't know what to do next. We have those days when maybe we think we've got the answer, but it's not yours. So Lord, help us to, to look back on the ways you've been faithful to us in the past and know that you'll be faithful in the future because your word tells us that you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. And so we need to hold on to that no matter how bad things might possibly look. We know that we have your promises to lean on. Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening to this that, that doesn't know you, that has never made a commitment to you. I don't even know what that's all about. But what it's about is this, is to know that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, and that he died on the cross for the sins of everyone. He had no sins himself. He was the perfect sacrifice, the only, only one that could be the sacrifice for us. And even though he died on that cross, on that Good Friday, on the third day, Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. Resurrection day. And he told us when he was alive, before the resurrection, told us after he had been resurrected, I'm coming back. You just better be ready. And there's only one way for you to be ready, and that's to believe. So if you've never given your life to Christ, do it like this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son who died for my sins. I need a Savior, and only you can be that Savior. Please forgive me and let me follow you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.